Let's go ahead and get into the word. Let's pray again. Seek the Lord. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can get together, that we can worship you openly, freely, Lord, that we have your word, your love letter to us. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would soften our hearts, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word, your truth, your beauty, your glory, your honor, Lord, that you would remove any hindrances, any distractions, anything, Lord, that would keep us from loving you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, Lord, and help us to just dive into your word today, Lord. Give us um, a word, Lord, that would encourage us, that would strengthen us, that would empower us to live for you, that would strengthen our relationships, strengthen our marriages, Lord, strengthen our relationship ultimately with you. So we pray that you would forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, be with us today, bless this message. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Finding Strength in the Lord. Finding Strength in the Lord. It's no secret that as a fellowship we've been going through a trial lately, a trial that perhaps has hit some harder than others. Um, I think it's safe to say that some of us, if perhaps not most of us, have been on an emotional roller coaster the last couple of weeks, although with time, it heals all wounds to a certain extent. I, re- I received a letter yesterday in the mail. I think it got to us a couple days earlier before that, but our mailbox is down the street, so we tend to forget to go over there and grab the mail, but we got a card from a brother, a dear brother and sister in New York, in the New York live stream, and part of the letter said this, we are praying for strength in your hearts, hope in your homes, and flourishing fruit in the fellowship. And then the day before that, my brother Tommy texted me this verse, 1 Peter 4.11, and here's the first part of the verse. It says, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. And that's the teaching I want to give today is that our hearts would be strengthened in the Lord, that God would give us the strength, that he would supply us with strength so that we can move forward in him. And that's been my prayer lately is, Lord, strengthen me, strengthen my faith, strengthen our church And so I want to look at different texts that talk about finding our strength in the Lord. The fact is, as Christians, we all will go through trials. Trials are inevitable. They're unavoidable in the Christian faith. And these trials will bring weakness into our lives. To one degree or another, trials will bring weakness. The question is, what do we do with the weakness that comes our way? Christian life in scripture is described as a race, Hebrews chapter 12. It's described as a fight, 1 Timothy 1.18 and 2 Timothy 4.7. It's described as a war in Ephesians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, chap- verses 24 through 27, actually the first three verses, 24 through 26, Paul describes the Christian life in three ways, as a race, as an athletic competition, and as a boxing match. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete practices self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to receive an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box 
as if when beating the air, I beat down my body, I make it my slave, so after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You have four metaphors and four verses. Running, boxing, you have an athletic competition, and then he even talks about having mastery over his own body, slavery, that he beats down his body, not physically, but spiritually speaking, he says, I will master my flesh. I will not allow sin to reign over me in my body. All of these require endurance, stamina, determination, focus, drive, and what we're talking about today, strength. That is the Christian life. I mean, what athlete does not suffer? I've talked about this before. I haven't talked about what I'm going to share now before, I don't think, at church. I suffered playing baseball in high school. I was sliding into third base. The catcher threw the ball down to third base, and I don't know what the third baseman was doing. I don't know if he was daydreaming. I don't know if it was a really bad throw, but somehow the ball hit me straight in the face, shattered my nose right there. And I didn't know where I was at. I tried to get up and run home because the ball continued to go into the outfield, but I was all confused and just stayed there at third base. And then I get up and one of the coaches is like, yeah, I think you might need to go to the hospital. Well, the endorphins kicked in and I couldn't even really feel it at the time. I thought, oh, maybe I have a little bruise on my cheek or something. But my nose was like all the way off to the side. So I had that in high school. I also broke my wrist diving for a baseball. In Little League, I somehow, during batting practice, hit the ball straight into my eye, which I don't know how that was done, but was coughing up blood for several days after that. Went to school with a big shiner. Um, Playing football, I had concussions, and playing basketball, I think I broke a couple fingers, and those are the things I could remember as I was putting together this message. And so, I continued to find strength to keep playing, right? That's a metaphor an illustration of our Christian walk with the Lord. John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. The world. I love that verse. He doesn't say, we'll have tribulation, but I'm sorry, I can't help you. You'll have tribulation, sorry, I've been defeated. Sorry, I have no hope to offer. You're on your own. You're going to go through the midst of the storm and the tribulation by yourself. No, he says, take courage. I have overcome the world. I'm victorious. I prevail. I conquer. I win. Greek word, nikao. I don't have to tell you the English word that is derived from that. It's a name of someone in the fellowship. So God gives us strength. 1 John 5, 4, for whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We overcome through our faith. As long as we're trusting in Jesus Christ and we believe in him, scripture promises us we will overcome. So Jesus said, take courage. Greek word is tharseo. King James translates it, be of good cheer, be bold, means to show unclenching, bold courage out of the inner confidence that is spirit-produced. Take courage, I have overcome the world. In Acts chapter 23, the apostle Paul is standing before the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's on trial. He's in a trial, but he's on trial, literally. 
and the chapter opens up with them striking him in the mouth. They're trying to trap him. They form an oath to kill him. At one point, the commander takes Paul because he's afraid that he's going to be torn into pieces in the midst of this mob. And in verse 11, this is what it states, Acts 23. But on that night, immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, tharseo, take courage, be bold, be confident, be strong. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my case at Jerusalem, so you must also witness at Rome also. Be encouraged, Paul, I will sustain you. And so Paul strengthened himself in the Lord and he continued on in the ministry. Ephesians 6.10, a verse that many of us know, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul goes on to list all the ways in which the enemy is coming after us. He's scheming, he's plotting, he's planning, he's coming at us with these fiery flaming missiles. He wants to destroy you and me. He wants us dead. And what does Paul say? He doesn't just say be strong. No, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We can't win the battle in our own strength. It has to be his strength, his might, his power. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not us living, it's Christ in us. It's not our strength, it's his strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul tells Timothy where his strength comes from, comes from again. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, in the context of suffering, Paul says, suffer with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. But two verses earlier, he says, Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All the blessings, all the joy, all the peace, all the eternal treasures you have in Christ, Timothy, be strong in this grace. And then finally, 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Paul was nothing, could have done nothing, and would have amounted to nothing if it wasn't for the strength which God supplied in him. The strength in, the, in our Christian lives comes from the risen Savior who was victorious over the trials in his life, who overcame the grave, who overcame sin, death, and Satan, and through his power and his strength, we overcome today. I love Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. His power working within us provides the strength we need every day. And then 2 Corinthians 13.4. Do we think of Jesus as being weak? The scripture describes him as weak in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, but it doesn't stop there. It says, for indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. 
for we also are weak in him. Yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. So we're all weak. We're all frail. Jesus, in his crucifixion, in his death, was weak in a sense, but yet lives because of the power of God. The power through the spirit that rose him from the dead, it says in the book of Romans, is the same spirit that lives in us. It's a Shane and Shane song that I want to share with you. It's called You've Already Won. found this a couple weeks ago, and I put it on repeat about 50 times and just kept listening to it. I've been told by friends, don't do that. You'll get tired of a song if you keep replaying it over and over. And I'm like, I don't care. If I like a song, I just listen to it over and over and over again. And so the song goes like this. There's peace that outlasts darkness. Hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow for tomorrow's in his hands. All I need you will provide just like you always have. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. There's mercy in the waiting, manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. When the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. He'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ, and I'll say that it is well. Oh, I know that it is well. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my Savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. I know how this story ends. I love that. We know how the story ends. We'll rule and reign with Christ. We'll be victorious. Jesus will destroy the enemy with the breath of his mouth and by the appearance of his coming. We have this hope. We have this joy. We have this future. That should motivate us. That should strengthen us. That should empower us to live for Christ and whatever comes our way in this life. If you or I were in a wrestling match, if we were in a literal boxing match, if we were in a marathon and a race, And if somehow we were able to know we were going to win, if somehow we were to know the future and would know that we would win, what would that do to our morale? What would that do to us in the middle of getting beat up, in the middle of feeling like quitting, in the middle of that race when there's 12 miles left and you have a Charlie horse or you just feel like quitting the race, but you know you're going to win? What would that do? I think that would empower you to keep pushing forward. That would give you that inner courage, that inner strength to move forward, to keep fighting, to go forward and move on. And so likewise in the Christian walk with the Lord in our Christian lives, we know the end. We know we win. That should embolden us. That should give us an inner confidence and a strength to keep moving forward in the Lord no matter what comes our way, no matter what trials come our way in this life. We know that we win in the end. Luke twelve thirty two, Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. So we've looked at a couple New Testament verses. We looked at Paul encouraging Timothy. We've looked at Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, exhorting the Ephesian church and us as well. I want to look at an Old Testament passage in a couple moments here. I want to talk about David again. David, who we talked about last week, who wrote many of the Psalms. David, who in 
First Samuel 16 was anointed in front of his brothers, a story that I love. He's overlooked. He's tending the sheep. Samuel goes to Jesse and says, bring me your sons. And one by one, the Lord says, no, 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 no. I don't look at things outwardly. God says, I look at the heart because one of Jesse's sons was tall and handsome. And Samuel said, this must be the next king. And God said, no. And there David was being obedient to the Lord, tending the sheep. Jesse brings him in. David anoints, or Samuel anoints David in the presence of his brothers. And from that point forward, the story goes that David was victorious over and over again. He destroys Goliath. After that, Saul puts him as a commander over many of the armies of Israel. And it said, in 1 Samuel 18:7, perhaps you remember this saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. So David is slaying thousands, ten thousands. 1 Samuel 18:14, and David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. So the Spirit of the Lord mightily comes upon David. He's victorious in many ways. He knows the Lord's with him. He knows one day he's going to be king. Yet what happens next? Trial after trial after trial. Years and years and years of suffering. Literally years. Most scholars say 10 to 15 years. If he was around 15 when he fought Goliath, he was 30 when he became king of Israel. 10 to 15 years of waiting. 10 to 15 years of being on the run. 1 Samuel 18:11 says, Twice Saul hurled a spear at David, but David escaped his presence. Then in chapter 19, verse 10, again, Saul threw a spear at David, but David escaped. Three times personally, Saul threw a spear at David and tried to kill him. So what does David do? He runs. He's in caves. He's out of caves. He's in the desert. He's on the run. And we're told in 1 Samuel 27, 1, he finally says, that's it. I'm leaving the country. He says, quote, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were their enemy. They were this warish people that wanted to destroy Israel. And David says, this is my only hope. I'm going to die at the hands of Saul. I'm going to run into the enemy's land. And that's what he does. And he spends a year and four months in the land of the Philistines. And he even goes to battle with them. They give him the town of Ziglag. But this is what one commentary states. This was a strange fit of unbelief that David sunk into and very unaccountable and unreasonable. It was had he but considered his being king by the Lord, the promise of God to him which could not fail and the providence of God that watched over him from time to time. David knew he would be king. David had the promises of God. David knew God was with him. The spirit of God was upon him and we don't see in the text that David consults the Lord here. We don't see that he sought God's counsel. He ran and he thought that Saul was going to take his life. But praise God, Jesus said he leaves the 99 and he goes for the one. God wasn't done with David yet. However, there was still more trials to come. And we'll read about them in just a minute. So he was anointed in front of his brothers, victory over Goliath, victory over thousands, people praising him, and yet he's on the run. It's been said that God won't use someone unless he 
breaks them first. Remember Moses? 40 years he's in Pharaoh's court, and then 40 years he's in the wilderness. He's tending Jethro's sheep for 40 years before God appears to him in the burning bush and says, go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. 40 years. Jacob, his hip thrown out of joint by the Lord. Abraham, tested to offer his one and only beloved son. Joseph, thrown into a pit by his brothers, enslaved and then imprisoned before he rose to second in command of all of Egypt. You read Hebrews chapter 11. All five of these men are mentioned, David, Moses, Jacob, Abraham, Joseph, and it says in verse 34 of Hebrews 11, from weakness they were made strong. From weakness they were made strong. We tend to forget that. When you think of Moses, when you think of David, when you think of Joseph, you don't tend to think of them as weak. You don't tend to think of Moses as in in the wilderness for 40 years prior to God using him or David on the run from Saul. When you think of David, most people think of Goliath. They think of him as king. They think of him as ruling and reigning, but not the weakness. And it says, from weakness, they were made strong. God made them weak. He made them frail. He made them destitute. He made them humble and hurting so that they would cry out to God for his strength and realize they have no strength in in and of themselves. In the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul, of course, who was blinded at first, led by the hand, and then after that, constant trials, constant thorns in the side. And I love what he says in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I am strong. I don't think we'd have most of the book of Psalms if God didn't put David through all the trials that he went through. I don't think we'd have half the New Testament if God didn't allow Paul to go through what he went through. And so God does the same things in our lives as well. He makes us weak. He makes us frail. He puts our hip out of joint, so to speak, so that we'll cry out to him. We'll cling to him. We'll cling to his grace. And that's where his strength and his power comes forth in our lives. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to read a couple verses about one of the final trials that David went through before becoming king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Right before this, David is about to go to war with the Philistines, and they tell him, you know what? This isn't a good idea. You've been faithful to us. We trust you, but someone in the army doesn't trust you. Someone high up, I believe, said, you know what? We're having second thoughts about David. He might turn on us. So let's send him home. Let's let him go back to Ziglag, to that city that we've given him. And so that's what happens. And we pick it up in chapter 30, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. 
Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Verse 5, now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. Here's the key. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Just pause right there for a minute. Let that sink in. I was reading this text, I don't know, some time ago in my early morning reading, going through Samuel, and then this verse just hit me like a bolt of lightning, like a ton of bricks. I just sat there and read it over and over again. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Everyone was turned against David at this point, even his own men. They're talking about stoning him. They're talking about killing him. He's been on the run for 10 to 15 years. And what does he do? The text could have said, but David cursed God for allowing this to happen. The text could have said, but David blamed God for allowing this to happen. It could have said, but David turned his back on God and deconstructed his faith. It could have said, but David was angry with God. Or it could have said, David complained and said to God, look, I've been on the run for so many years and now my own people are turning on me. How could you allow this to happen? Why should I trust you, God? The text could have said many, many other things. But it says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this is a turning point in David's life. After this, he goes back and he wipes out the Amalekites. He seeks the Lord like he should have a year and four months earlier instead of running to the Philistines. And here he cries out to the Lord, seeks the Lord, and he wipes out the Amalekites. He gets his family back. He gets his people back. He gets his possessions back. Shortly thereafter, in the next chapter, Saul dies, Jonathan dies, and David takes over as king of Israel. It's a turning point. It was the ultimate test. Everything, as I mentioned, taken from him. Everything stacked against him. He was weeping, it says, to where he had no strength left. Weak, frail. His own people turning against him, possibly about to die, and what does he do? Cries out to God. We're told in Psalm chapter 18, and I'm going to turn there. You can turn there as well if you'd like. I'm going to share a couple of verses from Psalm 18 because I believe this psalm tells us what David sang to the Lord, what David wrote to the Lord after this victory. If you read Psalm 18, if you turn there, in some of your Bibles it says this, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And this is what it says in the first six verses. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. 
In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. If you look down at verse 30, it says, As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hind's feet and sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. And I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you have girded me with the strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Beautiful psalm. David gives God all the glory. Just as Paul was nothing and could accomplish nothing without God's grace and his strength, the same for David. He says, your gentleness in verse 35 makes me great. He realized his greatness He realized his power, his strength, his rulership was all because of God. He could look back at his life and see all the times where God could have wiped him out, but yet God preserved him. God granted him grace. I think the last song that Leah sang today was talking about weakness and strength. And it was a song actually that as we were singing it, I thought back to Mexico. I was down in Mexico and I was with Jonathan and we were going village to village, house to house, and there was a lady there that was bedridden. I found out, I think a couple months later, she died. But at the time, she was bedridden by herself in her room. And I said, can we sing the song, Give Thanks? And we began singing that over her and she was weeping and we were crying and at least that's how I remember it, of just this special time of singing over her that when we are weak, yet we're strong in him that you could be in a wheelchair, you could be in a hospital bed, you can be an invalid, you could be quadriplegic, yet when I'm weak, I'm strong in him. That's something that we need to remind ourselves constantly as well. Let me close by giving three ways to renew our strength. 
in the Lord. Number one, we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on him. We can be tempted in the times of trials and hard times to maybe say some of the things that David could have said in this severe trial. Blame God, turn against God, get angry, turn to sin, turn to drunkenness, turn to the world, turn your back on God and your faith. Isaiah 40 verses 30 and 31 says, Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. We need to wait on the Lord. In Barnes' notes on the Bible, he says, it has been a common and popular opinion that the eagle lives and retains his vigor to a great age and that beyond the common lot of other birds, he molts or casts off his old age and renews his feathers and with them his youth. So I never heard that before. I never read about that before. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That was actually on the front of the card, that verse that was sent to me from New York. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Second point, be content. Be content. Realize God's in control. An old preacher once said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. When you're going through difficulties, when, you're, when we're going through trials, realize God is in control. He's allowing it for a reason. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He's saying I can have God's strength in me no matter what I'm going through. If I have little, if I have a lot, if I'm suffering need, I've learned the secret, being content in Jesus. And point number three, feed on God's grace. A brother recently sent me a video of the world's strongest man and what he eats on his cheat day. 25,000 calories. Donuts, pizza, shakes, Wendy's, 25,000 calories. Probably take most of us a week to get that many calories in. There's a YouTube video of him eating this in one day. Well, he's six foot eight, 400 pounds. He deadlifts 1,000 pounds. He squats 900 pounds, and he benches 700 pounds. So he needs all this food to fuel his physical strength. Pretty crazy. We need to do that with God's grace, spiritually speaking. Feed on it, meditate on it, be satisfied in it, delight in it, cling to it, and be strengthened by God's grace. Hebrews 13.9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, though which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. Benefit yourself, spiritually speaking, by God's grace. What is grace? Let me let someone define it for us. A lost, a lost slave trader in the 1700s who came to know Christ and was never the same. Amazing grace. Amazing grace 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. That's the grace that we need to sustain us. That's the grace that we need to be satisfied in. That's the grace that keeps us. And that's the grace that strengthens us to continue moving forward in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. Where would we be without you? Lord, we pray that like David, when life is raging against us, when we go through difficulties, that we would strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God, that we wouldn't turn to the left or to the right, that we wouldn't look to this world, Lord, for any fulfillment in it, but that we would look to you, that we would be satisfied in you. Like David says in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our prayer today, Lord that you would fill our cups, that they would be overflowing, that we would be satisfied in you and that we would realize that in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord, to keep moving forward in you. Would you bless us and keep us, make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us all peace. In Jesus' name, amen.